Come with me, please, again to the Old Testament, to 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20, just give you a moment to find that in your Bible. Twentieth chapter of First Kings. And just prior to where we're going to begin to read tonight, we're going to begin to read from verse 22, but just prior to that, <clears throat> King Ahab had fought against uh, the king of Syria. And uh, God gave him, in spite of his wickedness, but God gave him a great victory. And uh, they were well pleased with that tremendous victory over the Syrians. But then uh, a prophet in verse 22, and the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. So in other words, he's going to come back for another fight. So just be prepared. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we. But if we fight them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, then we will fight against them in the plain or in the valley. Surely we will be stronger than they. And as he listened to their voice and did so, so it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphak to fight against Israel. The children of Israel were mustered and given provisions. They went against them. Then the children of Israel encamped like, before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Assyrians filled the countryside. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys, therefore I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. So it was that on the seventh day the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. But the rest fled to Aphak into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left and Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city into an inner chamber. Amen. The enemies of God's people were convinced that Israel's God, our God, was only a God of the hills, but not a God of the valleys. And they assumed that as long as God's people were on the mountaintop, then they would be invincible. But as soon as they were in the valley, then they become weak and easy prey. However, in their assessment, they made two fatal mistakes. First of all, our strength lies not in where we stand before men, but where we stand before God. And we need to remember that. Secondly, what they overlooked was this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, sometimes we ourselves are guilty 
of thinking like the Syrians. Sometimes we feel that God is a God of the hills, but He's not a God of the valleys. That God will only deliver us if we're in a strong position, but not in a weak position. That God will only help us if we're up, but He won't help us if we're down. But thank God He's a God of the valleys as well as a God of the hills. And so whether you're healthy, God is still God. Whether you're sick, God is still God. God is God when you're prosperous. God is God when you're broke. God is God when you're strong. God is God when you're weak. Is the devil mocking you? Does he come and whisper in your ear, Aha! Aha! I've got you in a valley. I've got you when you're weak. I've got you when you're sick. I've got you when you're broke. I've got you when you're down. What can your God do now? How many times over the years, whenever we've been in a hard place, that we were tempted to think that somehow God has forgotten about us? If only I was in a stronger position. If only I was on the mountaintop, not in the valley, then everything would be all right. But this story here is to show us that whether we're on the mountain or whether we're in the valley, that God is still God. And even though the odds may be stacked against us, that God is still God. And God delights in helping us when we're at our weakest, when we're not trusting in ourselves. It says here that Israel was like two little flocks of goats beside the great multitude of the Syrians. They were vastly outnumbered. And they were going to have to fight in the valley. Of course, there was a reason why they lived along the mountains. And one of the reasons why they lived along the mountains is because <laughs> it was safer. They were at an advantage. You could see the enemy coming. It was easier to repel the enemy because you had the height advantage. You had the vantage point over him. But in the valley where things were level, well, that was different, particularly when the enemy was outnumbering. And that was the position that they were in. Come with me, please, to Judges chapter 6. Now, you know, of course, Judges 6 and 7 tells that wonderful story of Gideon. And you're very familiar with the story of Gideon, so I don't want to read all of the story of Gideon, but I just want to show you something that perhaps uh, maybe we didn't notice so much because we weren't looking for it, but in the light of what I'm sharing tonight. In Judges chapter 6, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because the Midianites, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Notice where they were living. In the caves in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, that the Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. 
Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, of course, they had to live. They had to eat. And you can't grow wheat and barley in the mountains. You can only do it in the valley, in the plain. And so their enemies, knowing this, would wait until they had sowed, and sometimes wait until it was near reaping time. And then they would come like locusts and devour the land. And of course, the Israelites would have to hightail it into the mountain place just to save their lives. And so this was something that was happening year after year after year after year. Seven years this was happening until they finally cried out unto the Lord for mercy. It came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel and said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all those who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose, hand, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an opera which belonged to Joash the Abiasrite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So this little bit of wheat that he actually had managed to salvage, he was threshing out and hiding. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which your fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. The Lord said, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And then if you'd read on a little bit further in that chapter, you would see one of the first things he did was his father was a Baal worshiper, and he pulled down that uh, Baal image and that grove that his father had made. And of course, that caused a great uh, whole furore within the community. And they went to his father and demanded the, his son be killed for what he did. And his father stood up for his son and says, Well, if Baal's such a great God, why can he not defend himself? And, uh, and so if you read farther on down there, you'll see then how that the... Well, let me read it to you. Verse 33, Then all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of these gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet. The Abiasrites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came to meet him. And then Gideon, wanting to be absolutely sure that he had heard the voice of God, uh, he put out a fleece, and we don't need to go into that story and how he tested it just to make sure that it was God. But notice in chapter 7, Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, 
His father renamed him after that incident because he had pulled down that great uh, uh, idol. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Harod, so that the camp of the Midianites was also on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. Notice that. And then, and then the Lord said, the people that are with you are too much. 32,000 are too many to fight this battle. I will not get the glory. So ask them, who among you is afraid to go to war? And 22,000 turned and fled. He's left with 10,000. The Lord said, still too many. Go down to the river. Ask them to drink. And whenever one laps like a dog, separate those. They're the ones I want. And only 300 lapped like a dog. So now he is vastly, hugely outnumbered. And now they're going to have to fight in the valley. Is God a God of the hills only? Or is God a God of the valleys as well? Well, he was going to find out that God was a God of the valley as well. And then if you read there further on, uh, what does it say? Let me just cut in here just to save a little bit of time. Well, from verse 12. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley. There's that word again. As numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned. And the tent collapsed. How in the world could a loaf of barley bread knock down a tent? But God was showing him something here about the odds that he was against. And even though he'd be small, just like a barley loaf, he'd be able to knock down the tent of the Midianites. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And then he divided them up and he gave them torches and so forth and so on. You know the rest of the story and how they won a tremendous battle against such overwhelming odds that had to be God. It could not just be 300 men. It had to be the hand of the Lord. And God was showing Gideon that he's a God not just of the hills, but he's a God of the valleys also. Can you say amen? You don't need to turn to this, but 1 Samuel chapter 14, under King Saul's leadership, the children of Israel were fighting the Philistines. And Jonathan, Saul's son, was a great warrior. And he took it upon himself, him and his armor bearer, to go into the camp of the Philistines and single-handedly take them on. <clears throat> and here's what he said in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, 
For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. <laughs> nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And he went in there and slaughtered a lot of Philistines single-handedly because he believed the Lord was bigger than all the enemy had to offer. And even though he was just one man, one with God is always a majority, isn't it? You remember in 1 Samuel 17 how that David was facing, facing Goliath. In fact, I'll just quickly turn to that. 1 Samuel 17. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. were gathered at Sukkoth, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sukkoth and Azekah in Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle ray against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And then you know how the story went, how the, the great champion of Gath, Goliath, the man who was about nine feet tall, a warrior from his youth, come out, and every day for 40 days he walked up and down the valley Remember, the Israelites are up the mountain. Safe place. Can't defeat them up there. But what are they going to do in the valley? And so, Goliath of Gath, every day he's shaking his big ugly fist at them, demanding that they send out a man. Send out a man to me. Come down here, he said. Come down. Send out a man. Come down. Wanting them in the valley. Because he felt, if I get them in the valley... It would be easy meat for me. But he hadn't ragged on God and he hadn't ragged on David. Sure he hadn't. <laughs> and here's this wee whippersnapper comes, skinny as a rake, like a beanpole. And he comes. And if I can paraphrase, he says to his brothers, he says, what's this big giant? What's he gunching about? There's a good Scots Irish word, gunching. In case you people don't know what that is, he's mouthing. What's he mouthing about? Is there nobody going to fight him? Is there nobody going to take him on? I'll take him on. His brothers didn't like that. Sure they didn't. But King Saul was at the place now he had preferred anybody take him on to deal with him somehow. So he says, that's okay, but this man's been a warrior from his youth and you're just a lad, you're just a stripling. So wear my armor. Put my armor on. He tried it and he says, no, nah, it doesn't work. I, your armor's too big for me. I don't need it anyway. He says, I killed the lion and the bear. And he says, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of those. And all he needed was his slingshot. That's all he needed. Five stones on a slingshot. And he's gone out against this big man whose spear was like a weaver's beam, it says. Nine foot tall. But that's all he needed. And there he is in the valley against such overwhelming odds. But it didn't bother him one iota. Because he says he's uncircumcised. He's not of this covenant. I'm a covenant man. God's on my side. I'm on God's side. And I can beat this giant. He had just been at the barony, he had just been at the lion. That's exactly what he did, didn't he? But notice where it was fought, in the valley of Ephes Damon. 
which means the bloodline or the blood boundary. Because of the color of the earth was like blood. And it is often said that Goliath never crossed the bloodline. His head did when David cut it off, but that was as much as got over it. And there's a bloodline that the enemy can't cross in our lives if we're believers. And you need to know that and remember that. And if you're in a valley, you're up against the odds. Remember, God's on our side. Can you say amen? Well, not read the story, but it's quite humorous when you think about it. In Second Samuel 23, one of David's many men, many mighty men, Benaniah. And what made Benaniah notable was that he fought a lion in a pit on a snowy day. <laughs> that's some combination, isn't it? I mean, fighting a lion on its own, I mean, that's tough, isn't it? I saw a photograph in the paper the other day uh, in the Daily Mail where, where this guy, I think it was in South Africa, and he's one of these guys that goes in among the lions and so forth, you know. And so he was in with a lion, and he yanked its tail and took its photograph. And, and it showed you its face, <laughs> snarling at him. I mean, he was a brave man, wasn't he? Imagine yanking the lion's tail to take his photograph. Would you do that, Tony? <laughs> I'd like to see you. Gary would do it too, and it'd be black and white, wouldn't it? Eh? That'd be a black and white photo. He did get his tripod up and all and set up for about 10 minutes then. <laughs> but he yanked his tail, and it was, it was angry. It really was angry, like it really was. He's a brave man. But here's Benaniah. He's not only fighting the lion, but it's in a pit. I mean, an animal that's cornered will go for you. Even a rat that's cornered will jump at you, won't it? I mean, any animal that's cornered will go for you. And it's in a pit, and it's on a snowy day. <laughs> Not a good time to fight a lion in a pit when it's a snowy day. And yet that man killed that lion with his bare hands in a pit on a snowy day. Sometimes you may feel you're fighting a lion in a pit on a snowy day. But with God's help, you can slay it. And then 2 Kings chapter 3. Just over the page a little bit. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king of Israel at Samaria. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, this was the time of the divided kingdom. Ten northern kingdoms was called Israel at this time. Two southern kingdoms, two southern uh, uh, tribes down there was called Judah. And so it was divided. And it was divided spiritually as well. Uh, because the kings of, of Israel, every single one of them were bad. Uh, a lot of the kings of Judah were bad, but there were some good ones among them, a few good ones. This is one of them, Jehoshaphat. Now Jehoram, son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the eighth year, 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal but his father had made, that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of, Je of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, and he did not depart from them. Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. 
But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And so King Jehoram went out of Samaria at the time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, to the southern tribes, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab, who was the ancient enemy? He said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people are as your people. My horses as your horses. Then he said, Which way shall we go up? He answered, By the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. That was his guilty conscience speaking, by the way. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your fathers and the prophets of your mother. So he's rebuking the king of Israel because of the prophets of Baal. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these things kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of Ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water. Remember we talked about that this morning in other contexts. And ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. These three kings and their armies heading out to battle, ran into trouble. They had no water. No water for them, no water for their animals, no water for their soldiers. No wonder the king of Israel said, the Lord is against us. He sent us out to kill us. Because there's nothing sure, and had they proceeded without water, surely they never would have lasted in the battle. In the heat of the battle, they would have fainted. And so the prophet tells them, dig the valley full of ditches. Even though you're in a valley, and even though it looks like you cannot go another step, and even though it may seem like you're not going to win this battle, the prophet said, dig this valley full of ditches. You're in a valley, there's no water, but you've got to prepare You've got to dig, you've got to expect, you've got to believe, you've got to have faith that you're going to do this, that God is going to help you in this. 
And so that's exactly what they did. They dug the valley full of ditches and they waited and nothing happened until the next day when they had the grain offering and when they worshipped and they offered up to God an offering unto God. Suddenly, out of nowhere, came this water all right down through that valley, all from the way of Edom, and it just filled the whole valley. And suddenly, they had enough water for all of their horses and all of their soldiers and all of their men and all of their servants. And not only that, Whenever their enemies, when they saw the sun shining on the water, no doubt because of the color of the earth and because of the sun shining on it, they thought it was rivers of blood. And they thought these three armies of, 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 of Edom and of Israel and of Judah, they thought they had fought amongst each other and were slaughtering each other. And so they said, look, they're slaughtering each other. Let's go and get them now. And they came down, but they went right into a trap. And God gave them a great victory over their enemies. Sometimes when you're in a valley and it's dry and it doesn't look as if you're going to make it, you've got to dig a ditch. You've got to dig in and you've got to do something. You've got to stand your ground. And you've got to trust and you've got to believe God that God has got it under control and he's not going to fail you and he's not going to let you die. And whatever it takes, God is going to give you a miracle to get you through. So he says, dig the valley full of ditches. And he did that. Lastly, Acts chapter 12. Verse 1, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover, four quaternions is the word. Four sets of four. Remember that the Romans had four watches. So here would be four soldiers for each watch, each shift, 16 in all. So they're going to make absolutely sure that there is no possible way that Peter could escape from their clutches. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So in other words, here he is, he's lying. A soldier on his left side, a soldier on his right side, and he's handcuffed as it were to each of them. The other two were no doubt guarding the door, maybe one on the inside and one on the outside. And Peter's lying there, amazingly, without any feeling of fear or worry or concern or anything. He's lying sleeping, sound asleep, probably snoring his head off. I'm sure the soldiers couldn't believe it because they knew 
And he knew that they were intending to kill him the next day. But he's ready to go. And should he have to die, he's ready to die. But he's lying there. And then suddenly, verse 7, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing in a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So here he is. He's in an inner prison. He's guarded by four soldiers. The angel comes, takes him through that first door. But that's only the first door and the first wall of that prison. But then there's another wall and another door, and he takes him through that. And then there's a third, which is the great iron gate leading out to the city. Have you ever seen ancient gates? They are massive gates. And suddenly it opens of its own accord. And he walks right out by the end of the street, safe and sound. What would be the odds of getting out of that prison? What would be the odds of escaping? Zero. No chance. Hadn't a hope except God intervened. And God came and sent his angel and he released him. The church was praying for him, and he went to where the church was praying for him. Remember the wee girl come out, scared the living daylights out of her. <laughs> there was Peter standing bold as brass. They knew he was in prison. They knew there was no possible way he could escape, but yet there he was. Their prayers were answered. They didn't even believe it when it happened. Frightened the life out of them. And so, God has wonderful ways of helping us in our difficult times and when we're facing overwhelming odds. Not just the times when things is going well, the times when you're up, the times when you're on the mountain place, the times when you're healthy and you're strong and you've got money in your pocket and your job's going well and your children are going wonderful and your marriage is going great and everything's hunky-dory. It's the times when you're in the valley, when the tide turns against you and circumstances run against you. And everything seems to be happening and everything's caving in on you. It's like the roof is just piled in on you. Those are the times when God can show himself strong on our behalf. Those are the times when you have to trust him and believe him. Those are the times when you have to say, look up and say, God, I believe that you're God of the valleys. You're not just a God of the mountains. God, you're God when I'm down and you're God when I'm up. You're God when I'm sick. You're God when I'm healthy. You're God when I'm prosperous. You're God when I'm broke. You're just God. And if I can trust you and believe you, you'll bring me through this. Amen? Can you stand with us, please? Lord, tonight we stand before you in faith, believing that nothing 
isn't possible with our God. We thank you, Lord, that as long as you are on our side, then no enemy can defeat us. No odds that are against us is big enough if God is on our side. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we don't have just to believe, Lord, in the good times, but we can believe in the tough times. Lord, that's when we really prove who you really are. Because, Lord, that's when you like to shine through for us. So, Lord, there are situations, Lord, within our lives or within our families' lives. There's difficulties. There's bridges that we need to cross, Lord. There's things that we need to do. There's situations that has arisen. And, Lord, at the time it may seem too great for us, but it's not too big for you. And so, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to believe Lord, that you're bigger than this illness and you're bigger, Lord, than this circumstance and you're bigger, Lord, than whatever is coming against me. We're going to believe, Lord, that you're bigger than all of that. And Lord, we're going to look at these Bible passages and as David did, we're going to encourage ourselves in the Lord and we're going to trust and believe, Lord, that you're going to break through for us. And Lord, whatever we need in Jesus' name that you will provide because we're going to believe you. Thank you, Lord, that you've saved us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, Lord, that you care about us. Thank you, Lord, that you provide for us. Thank you, Lord, that whatever we need you have, and we're going to believe, Lord, in the future is bright with Christ. Because, Lord, you're planning for our good, your word says, not for evil, but to give us a hope in the future. And so we're going to trust you tonight. Thank you, Lord God. And Lord, if we have to dig some ditches in our valley, we'll do that so that you can fill them full of water. In Jesus' name. So, Lord, bless your church tonight. Thank you for those who made the effort to come out tonight, Lord. Pray that you'll bless them for that. And, Lord, as they go into this working week, Lord, that your presence and your favor will be upon them. And, Lord, that you'll just meet every need that they have in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.